This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Aruka Network. In this episode, I'm going to share with you a fascinating story as we meet the man who is running a huge project in his region of Sierra Leone to build over 100 miles of roads and to connect villages that have never been connected by road before. And to do this, he's been telling me how he's managed to mobilize hundreds of local volunteers. And that is why we are getting maximum support from them, because they want it, because their parents, their grandparents have suffered and they want to leave a legacy behind. They keep saying that to us. That's the voice of Daniel Sarah Toure from the Kalinthuba region of northern Sierra Leone, which is one of the poorest areas of the country. Now, Daniel's background is in community health nursing, primary healthcare education and rural health. And his last job was with Sierra Leone's Ministry of Health, where he coordinated 20,000 of the country's community health workers. He's since retired, but over the next half hour, you'll learn how, in his retirement, he's managed to mobilise hundreds of people in villages throughout his district to contribute their time to building all these roads. He shares how he's coordinated all these people and raised money to start a tool library providing the equipment for the project. He'll explain why he thinks in developing countries it's so important that people and communities start by doing projects like these for themselves and only then asking for the support of NGOs and government. And he'll share some tips and ideas for how you can mobilise and motivate others. Now, I've known Daniel for a few years now. He's a great man. He's charismatic and a skilled communicator. And he also has a couple of catchphrases that I want to tell you about because I think they give you a nice insight into the man. The first is this. He says, I'm retired, but I'm not tired. And that tells you a bit about his age, but also crucially, his energy. And his second catchphrase is that attitude is everything. And he even established the Centre for Positive Attitude and Sustainable Development in his country to help further this cause of developing a positive attitude. And so before we get into this road building story, I wanted to explore what he means by this positive attitude. And so I asked him why he set up this organisation. One of the problems we face here in Sierra Leone is there is a negative mindset that everything should be done by government, things should be done by NGOs. And I think it is really not right. That thinking is not good. Because the moment you shift your responsibility to another person, to another institution, you are doomed to fail. And so I started this organization going around, look at topical issues like Time management is a serious problem. 
even going to work on time is a problem. So our institution is really talking to people to actually influence their mindset to see how they can change their perception about things. And you know, Jake, it is quite a daunting task because when you talk about attitude, it is not something tangible. It is about the innate tendency of the human person. So it really, really takes time. And for me, I always tell people that you cannot do development work with the same negative mindset. If somebody is thinking that making roads should be done by the government, it should be done by NGOs, and you go to that community, you start to do road work, it will not work. The first thing you should do is to talk to the people for them to understand that road network is fundamental for the development of their community. And it should be our responsibility to start somewhere. When you start somewhere, then you can ask people to come and help you. Because government or NGOs are overwhelmed with activities Probably they don't even think about you in your small corner, in your small village. So before doing anything with anybody in the community, you need to influence their negative mindset to change the perception. Until the mindset changes, it will not work. And even if it works, it will not be sustainable, Jake. So attitude is everything. I then asked Daniel to tell me why road building is a necessary project in his chiefdom of Sierra Leone, Kalinthuba. We have over 10,000 people and then we only have like two health facilities in the entire chiefdom of 40 registered villages. And uh, in 2018, I had a team that did a baseline survey in the chiefdom. And the survey revealed that the chiefdom is not developed because it is inaccessible, meaning that over 80% of the villages are not accessible by motor road. Mm. And what consequences does that have? Just paint a picture of the consequences of that for people's lives and livelihoods. Number one, you know, NGOs in this country will only operate in communities that is motorable. That is one. And because the place is not motorable, it's time to reason that it will be difficult to even build schools, to build health centers, because it will be difficult to carry imported materials. And the farthest village in this Chiefdom from the Chiefdom headquarters is about 30 to 35 miles. And you cannot go by motor road. You have to walk on foot. So it makes it extremely difficult for NGOs to operate in these communities. That is the reason why when I was retired, I decided to come. And that the first thing to do is to engage the people in awareness raising or awareness building so that they know the kind of situation we find ourselves and what needs to be done. 
And so the first project we thought of doing as a chiefdom was undertaking a self-help road construction. And um, I understand as well from from notes you've sent me that the lack of a road would stop agriculture and people making money from from agriculture. Is that correct? Precisely. The problem here is even if you have produce in these communities, Jake, carrying this produce on your head, you'll be taking like very little on your head to bring to big towns to market your produce. And so most of the produce in those villages normally go bad because they don't have vehicles, don't go to those communities. And so it's really difficult. So marketing those produce from those communities is a big challenge. It also turns to reason that even when you want to travel, like you want to go to a section from the chiefdom headquarters town, it will take you days, like two days, to get to the farthest end of the chiefdom because you have to walk on foot. And you know, Jake, that is not good in this 21st century for someone to walk 20 to 30 miles on foot. It is appalling, and I consider it really a serious problem. If you are to take two days to walk on foot, by the time you get to the village you want to go, you get sick on the way. Mm. So no matter the good intentions you have for that village, I mean, it will dampen your interest because it is labor-intensive. Let me put it that way. So this is discouraging people to do business with you. One other thing I'm interested in, I understand the lack of a road leads to a reduction in children attending primary school. And this is partly to do with the rainy season and parents choose to keep their children at home at that time because it's dangerous yeah. to go on the footpath. Yes. Can you describe why, why that's the case? Yes. Um, you know, in the rainy season... And some of the flat areas normally get flooded. And then in the peak of the rainy season, when you have continuous rain, most of the roads are flooded. And it makes it dangerous for children to walk from one village to go to the other village because of the flooding. And so people with parents will decide to keep their children home instead of risking them to flood, I mean, to drowning. That is the situation. So it seems clear what kind of benefits a network of roads might bring, more commerce, more agriculture, more healthcare, more education. So the next obvious question to Daniel was, how did he get started? Well, one of the first things actually we did, I had a team that did a baseline study and because of the results of the baseline, and one of them was the poor road network in the chiefdom. And it is only when the road network improves that it will attract other development activities. Because of that, I started to create awareness in the minds of the people, telling them the true picture of the chiefdom and some of the reasons why we find ourselves where we are today because of the poor road network. And I told them, how many years is over one or 200 years today 
And then we have to come back. We are here. We still see this problem and we are not doing anything about it. How do you think this situation can be improved? So we did a lot of awareness raising and then people started coming up with ideas that we have to do the road. Then the issues begin to come. Then who provide the tools, who provide labor. And so one of the things we did was after we have created the awareness and people were enthused to do the labor, to provide the labor, then we started making appeal to descendants from this chiefdom, like some of us that are educated, some of us that are, I mean, better placed in society that we have to pay back. If we are to be what we are today, we owe it all to these people because it is them from their meager resources they sent us to school. And today we find ourselves in the position we see ourselves. And so let us pay back by buying these tools and the people consented to provide the labor. And so for us to make sure that we get maximum cooperation and participation, one of the things we did was we called all the local authorities to a meeting to establish bylaws. Bylaws is for us to all agree, if you don't go to work, what will happen to you? If you go late, what will happen to you? You know, so this was something we all did together with them so that at the end of the day, if you come late, you don't blame Daniel Saraturé or you don't blame Jake, but you blame yourself because this is something we all agreed on. And that is one thing we did. The other thing also, Jake, we did was how can we have enlightened people to serve as road monitors or supervisors? because. We have an experience here. If you leave community people on their own, they will not take long time in the job. They will just go and then do two, one or two hours and then they leave. But because of your presence there as a monitor or road supervisor and you also being with them, then they say, oh, we have to work. And these are not just small boys that you send to this supervisory work. These are leaders authorities that carry what in society. Because we here, when they see a leader, they see the chief, they will, oh, the chief is here, we have to work. And Jake, one of the things we do here, we as leaders also, we, we demonstrate to them. We don't just tell them to work, but we ourselves, we also work with them. We make sure that at a certain point, you take a hole, you, you take a shovel, oh, they will come and say, oh, no, chief, put it down, put it. I say, no, this is to tell you I want the road more than you guys. He said, no, leave it, leave it, you know? And this is interesting. That is one thing we did also. And another thing we also did is how can we give a day for chiefdom work? You use the six days for yourself, and then you offer one day to the development of the chiefdom. We ask them, like in Kalantuba chiefdom, we have five sections. We ask each section, which day do you want to work? Like we have three sections that work on Friday, and then Saturday, you have two sections. On Sunday, we rest, and then on Monday, we have a meeting of monitors and road supervisors 
just to share our challenges that we face, just to share experiences. And if there are defaulters, we discuss and then we decide what to do. And it is really interesting. And then the third Saturday of every month, we have what we call Chiefdom Development Committee. That is where all stakeholders in the Chiefdom and all the section chiefs come to meet and we discuss all, everything for the previous month. And then we also make plans for the succeeding month. That is how really we do it. And we want to thank God. It is yielding dividend. And so he did research to show the need for the road. He had conversations with people to develop ideas. He sought some funds from wealthier local people. He created this collaborative approach. He also created a system of accountability for these volunteers. But I was interested to know a bit more about the kinds of people that got involved, why they got involved, and how he recruited them. Here's what he said. We did a registration of able-bodied people like 18 years to 55 years. We registered all the men within that age range. These are the people really that go to do the road work. And when road monitors go, we use it as a checklist to see who is coming and who is not coming. So, I mean, it depends the size of the village and the number of people, in the able-bodied people in the, in, the, in the village, you know. But in a section, on the average, we'll be having like 50 people. Wow. And I wonder, um, so putting myself in their shoes, are they, are they, do they offer, do they volunteer their time or are they asked to join? And is there, there a sort of expectation that they would join and participate? Well, we are in agreement with them in doing this. It is not something coerced or imposed on them because what we do, we tell them, some of them travel to other villages that are developed and they go on foot to go to health centers and the kind of uh, uh, distance they, they, they take to walk on foot. And we told them that uh, this is something you can also have in your section, but how can we have it when uh, we don't have a, a road that is passable here, that is motorable? And so they know this is something we have to do and they see it as a need. And that is why we are getting maximum support from them because they want it, because their parents, their grandparents have suffered and they, they want to leave a legacy behind. They keep saying that to us. It's amazing that he recruited all these people. And so he said there are about 50 on a section. Earlier, he said there are five sections. So we're talking well over 200 people. But given that this is over 100 miles of road, I asked him next if he had any government support yet. And his answer, well, it was quite clear. No, absolutely, I say no. It is all done by individuals and descendants coming from this chiefdom. Mm. So one of the challenges we have, like the construction of culverts in the streams, and one of the things I want to tell you, we don't just want to invite people to come and start. They will say, oh, these people are lazy. So one of the things when we, we have completed the surface road to these villages, 
The next thing we'll be doing is inviting NGOs and the councils for them to come and see how much effort we have done and how they can help us as an institution or as a government. But we don't want to start with them. We want to start with ourselves. So you want you want to prove to the government as a community you're serious and that you're you're committed before you go and ask for for their support. That's the idea. Mm. So t- tell us how, um, because I understand as well as building this road or as part of building this road, you've started a tool library, haven't you? Tell us how that came about. The tool library is an idea that I came up with after one year of buying tools given to these communities. One of the things when we are doing the monitoring, when we had the road monitors and the supervisors, when they ask for this tool, nobody will give the correct story. They will say, oh, it is missing. Somebody has stolen it. Somebody, I mean, a lot of stories we hear. And so last year we decided that, you know what? Let us have a centralized system so that when they are going to work, they come to this place, they take the tools, they go and walk, and after work, they bring them back. And that is what we call the tool library. And we have a tool library committee that we basically train on record purposes. Like each time we give tools to them, we have to record it. How many shovels, how many pickers, matok, or whatever. And uh, people are really buying it and they think it's a wonderful idea. After the road is complete, would you intend to keep the tool libraries running? Do they have a use for other things in, in your community? I think that's the, the, that's the idea, Jake, because they have other commitments, other activities they'll be doing in their villages, like digging pit latrines, you know, and then even to, to clean the town. So it's a lifelong thing, you know, because as long as they have their villages and the grass will be growing around, they have to also clean the roads. I mean, you don't just make the road, you also need to maintain it. You also have these tools to maintain the road as well. Now, I don't know much about road building. I do know that Daniel's project is building uh, dirt roads using mud and stone locally available resources but i still imagine that it might be quite complicated and so i asked him if he had asked for support from experts in road building who might live outside of his chiefdom i think that is an interesting question you know what we are doing is to make it easier for professionals when the road is built then professionals can now have access to come and then do whatever correction or whatever advice they will give us. By then, a vehicle can take an engineer to the father's village. He will look at everything, but then now that the road is not there, how can you bring the engineer? He will not be prepared to walk 10 or 20 miles. That that would be a lot for him, you know? But now that we have something that a vehicle can pass through, then we can, it will give room for engineers or whatever you may be inviting to come and have a look at the road. I think that's the idea, Jake. Now, perhaps by this stage, you've got a sense of Daniel, his passion, his clarity and his character. 
but I still wanted to know a bit more about him. He said he's retired, but not tired. And so I asked him what gives him his energy for a project like this. Jake, I must be frank with you. It is an innate tendency in me. You know, when I was a small boy, I like talking with people. I like challenging elders. Why are you in this condition? They will always say, oh, it's because my dad was poor, my mother was poor. And then, you know, when I came out as a community health nurse, I didn't want to work in urban places. I, did, I just was interested in working in rural areas. And one of the reasons, really, Jake, I must be honest with you, I'm very passionate about grassroots development because I am coming from a very, very poor background. That is something I acknowledge and I worked hard just to tell people that you can be born poor, but you will not die poor as long as you work hard in life. And so I don't care much about what I make for myself, but I care much about what I do for people. That is my orientation in life. I keep telling my kids, if you want to live in luxury, it is somebody else that will be paying for that. You know, and uh, there's always that temptation for you to become corrupt. Because when you look at the salary structures in this country, Jake, it's mere pittance. If you become excessively wealth, to me, I don't admire it. I know it's from corrupt means. When you look at Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone is endowed with a lot of natural resources. But it is sad to say it is one of the poorest countries because of the way we do things. And I always say it is our mindset, our attitude. That is it. My attitude is not to become excessively wealthy at the detriment of somebody, but it's how much I can do for the next man. That is my orientation. Finally, I did wonder about the environmental considerations for a project like this, and this is what he told me. Most of these villagers have farm in those places. And I mean, they have a little bit of idea about the terrain. And so we involved them in the surveying on the route we are to pass through. And we only concentrate our efforts on the 25 feet wide width, the width, so we don't destroy the, the forest. And uh, we also have like open lands where we go now. We just spoke to the forest people that we want to do a forestation like in the valleys in certain hills that we really want to have to plant trees to control the erosion in future. Mm. So that is something we are working on as well. I think I think just finally I'd love to ask uh, so if, I think a lot of people will be uh, a lot of people who will listen to this will be really inspired by by you and the 
the scale and scope of this project and the number of people you've got involved and uh, your attitude towards addressing challenges um, and your ability to mobilize so many people. Um, I wonder, people listening to this who might have an idea or a project they want to get started where they live, I wonder what, what advice you might have for people when they're starting out and when they're just trying to tell people about their idea and get generate some momentum. What, what advice would you have for them? Uh, this is simple, Jake. If you want to do anything with the community, I have a saying, don't work for people, work with people. Working for people is not sustainable. Work with the people. It makes participation. It enhances sustainability as well. So that is one. Number two, also try to do a simple study. It is not something like you have to ask for money to go and do a survey. I always tell people that money is not a determinant, but rather a facilitator. That's what I keep telling people. Because each time people say, oh, I want to do this, there is no money, you will never get started. We are doing the road from nobody's funds. So my advice is try and go and study the dynamics in the community. Daniel, I don't have any more questions to ask. Is there anything you would like to add? Ah, for me, for countries, especially developing countries, one of the things I will really want to advise is that people need to take responsibility for the development of their communities. Because the mindset of saying the government is not doing anything, the NGOs are not doing anything, I don't buy it. Government and NGOs are overwhelmed with their activities. So that is why in your own corner, take the responsibility for your own development. When once you have that mindset, begin to work on something. And then it makes sense to go and ask somebody for a help. That was the voice of Daniel Sarah Toure sharing the ongoing story of his community-led road-building project in Sierra Leone. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, I will remind you that you can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community Aruka Network. And Aruka is spelt A R U. K-A-H. You can also help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. You can learn more about us on our website. Just visit arukanetwork.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on this show or suggestions for a future interviewee, then you can reach me via email jake at arukanetwork.org But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.